Hi everyone, welcome back to episode 14 of A Couple of Creeps. I am your hostess with the mostest, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. Extraordinaire. Colin. I, don't, I wouldn't say extraordinaire. I wouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm a fan of yours. Yeah, now you're doubling back. Well, yeah. Cause you need me to edit this thing. No, so you put gas in the car <laughs> when it's cold out. But I hope you guys had a great week, and I'm kind of on a serial killer kick. Colin's afraid for his life right now. I was gonna say he's yeah. thinking, "Do I need to leave a note?" Shit, yeah, I gotta leave plans behind. Do I need to tell someone where I laid a note in case I just don't show up for work on Monday? And Morgan's like, I don't, I don't know. He just, he just left. I, I don't know where, where he went. But this is episode fourteen, and I'm gonna tell you about Bible John. Way to steal my thunder, fuckwad. That his name Bible John. It is Bible John. Do you want to know why he was called Bible John? Sure. Was just... his, was his name John? No, nobody actually knows who he was. Oh, okay. Did he carry a Bible with him? You will find out. Oh, well, you just asked me if I wanted to know why he was called Bible John. Yes, because I want to tell you about him. All right, yeah, let's do this thing then. <laughs> Bible John. <laughs> Bible John is an unidentified serial killer who is believed to have murdered three young women between 1968 and 1969 in Glasgow, Scotland. Bible John's victims were all young brunette women between the ages of 25 and 32, all of whom had met their murderer at the, the Barrowland Ballroom, a dance hall and music venue in the city. The perpetrator has never been identified, and the case remains both unsolved and one of the most extensive manhunts in Scottish criminal history. The case would prove to be the first time in Scotland in which the Crown Office authorized publication of a composite drawing of an individual suspected of murder. This, uh, this unidentified serial killer became known as Bible John due, his, due to his having repeatedly quoted the Bible and to have condemned any form of adultery while in the company of his final victim. The known movement of convicted serial killer and rapist Peter Tobin gave rise to speculation that he might be Bible John, after his conviction of three murders in the late 2000s, but police later eliminated Tobin as a suspect. Let's talk about the first murders. The first murder victim was Patricia Docker. On February 28, 1968, the naked body of 25-year-old auxiliary nurse Patricia Docker was found in the doorway of a lockup garage by a man on his way to work at Carmichael Place, Battlefield, Glasgow. That's quite the... That's a long name. Yeah. The location of her body was only yards from her home and Langside Place. Her body bore evidence of extensive blunt force trauma, particularly to the face and head. She, she had been strangled to death, possibly with a belt. Docker's handbag, watch, and clothes were missing from the crime scene. Her clothing were never found, although her handbag was later recovered from the river cart by an underwater search unit and her watch was recovered from a pool of water close to the murder scene. Extensive door-to-door inquiries in the area produced a witness who recalled hearing a female scream, Leave me alone! The previous evening, 
Little hard evidence was discovered at the crime scene. Nonetheless, an ambulance man who retrieved the body informed investigators the victim had been a nurse who worked at Mearnskirk Hospital in nearby Rainsfewshire. Consequently, the victim was formally identified by her father the following day. Docker was a married mother of one, estranged from her husband. The night of her murder, she informed her parents she would spend the evening dancing at the majestic ballroom on Hope Street. Although for unknown reasons, she had chosen to spend the majority of the evening at the Barrowland Ballroom, probably because of the Over 25s night, which the venue hosted each Thursday. When she failed to return home that evening, her parents assumed she had spent the night with a friend. Police inquiries would only determine several days later that in the late evening, Docker had left the Majestic Ballroom to attend the, the Barland Ball that was going on. So she started out there and then she and left. Over, yeah. A post-mortem conducted by Gilbert Forbes at the University of Glasgow Medical School confirmed that the cause of death had been strangulation and that Docker's body bore no clear evidence of sexual assault. Furthermore... The stage of rigor mortis upon her body at the time of discovery indicated she had likely died shortly after she had left the Barland Ballroom. Investigators surmised the perpetrator had likely grabbed Docker before repeatedly punching her and kicking her in the face as she twice screamed, Leave me alone! He had then proceeded to rape Docker before strangling her to death and leaving her naked body with nothing but one shoe nearby close to the doorway of the lockup garage at Carmichael Place. Okay, so that was the first victim. Yeah. Then the second victim is Jemima McDonald. Okay. On Saturday, August 16th, 1969, a 31-year-old mother of three named Jemima McDonald also opted to spend the evening dancing at the Barlin Ballroom. McDonald was a regular attendee of the Barlin, and according to family custom, her sister Margaret O'Brien took care of her three children in her absence. As midnight approached, McDonald was seen by several people in the company of a young, well-dressed, and well-spoken man of slim build, aged between 25 and 35, and between 6 feet and 6 feet 2 inches in height. This individual had short, dark brown hair with fair streaks, likely spoke with a distinctive Glaskian accent. Glaswegian. Glaswegian. I, I, I like that. Yeah. You know, it's funny as earlier when you mentioned Glasgow, for some reason, I like really had to fight the years to go, do you know what people from Glasgow are called? <laughs> Glaswegians. Glaswegians. Well, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but he spoke with a distinctive Glaswegian accent and occasionally inserted brief biblical quotations into his conversation. Ha ha ha. There it is. Bible John. McDonald was seen leaving Barland shortly after midnight on August 17th in the company of this individual and was last seen walking towards either Main Street or Lansdary Street in the direction of her home at approximately 12.40 a.m. O'Brien became concerned when her sister failed to return home. Later the same day, she began hearing local rumors that young children had been seen leaving a derelict tenement building in McKenneth Street discussing a body in the premises. Jesus. That was a the, lot of the kids are just like Dude, Yo, there's, there's a dead body a in dead that apartment. Body building. over there. Someone should do something about it. 
Should we tell somebody? No, they're more like, you guys got to check this out. <laughs> you guys got to see what I found. Don't tell mom, though. Right. By the Monday morning, O'Brien was so concerned that she herself, fearing the worst, walked into the old building. So I like that. I, all... I wasn't joking. Yeah, the kids were like, yeah, yeah you got to check this shit out. But they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. And I like that it was all weekend. Yeah. I'm assuming that she went like on a Friday night mm-hmm. and then they come home Saturday. So it's been like two days and yeah. they're like, dude, follow me. Yeah. There she discovered her own sister's extensively battered body lying face down with her shoes and stockings lying beside her. A postmortem concluded that McDonald had been raped and extensively beaten, particularly in the face before she had been strangled to death with one of her own stockings. Her murder had occurred approximately 30 hours before her body had been discovered. Unlike Docker, the body of McDonald was fully clothed. Although her underclothing had been torn and like Docker, she had been menstruating at the time of her death. Police inquiries into McDonald's movements on the night of her murder produced several eyewitnesses who were able to accurately describe the man with whom she had been in the company of at the Barland. Door-to-door inquiries on McCath Street also produced a woman who remembered hearing female screams on the evening of McDonald's murder. Although this individual could not recall the precise time, consequently, police considered this information of little little use to their inquiry. This is the second time people have heard, you know, a woman screaming. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go out to see what was happening. No. But I don't know how I feel about that. Because if I heard someone screaming outside, leave me alone or, you know, right, get, yeah. get the fuck off of me or help or whatever. I might look out my window and then call 911. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Depending on how extensive it is. Yeah, I mean, if you just hit, you're like, oh, well. Somebody's getting in an argument or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, the initial investigation, although the city of Glasgow police noted several striking similarities between the murders of Docker and McDonald, including that both women had attended the Barland Ballroom on the evening of the murder, had been beaten, and been strangled to death with a piece of their lingerie, like their stockings. Mm Mm-hmm. They were menstruating and had their handbags taken from the crime scene. Initially, both murders were not considered to be the work of the same perpetrator. Despite extensive public appeals, the investigation into the murder of Docker had quickly become a cold case. Police had little information owing to both a lack of witnesses and hard evidence. The investigation had also been severely hindered by investigators by not discovering Docker until three days after her death. And also by the fact that she had attended the Barland on the evening of her murder. But, you know, it was a happening place, so they didn't really think much about it. Eighteen months later, following the discovery of McDonald, police became aware of remarkable similarities to the murder of Docker. Although police did not conclusively link both murders to the same perpetrator, they could not completely discount this theory. In addition, police were certain that perpetrators held a high degree of local geographical knowledge. However, they may have been a stranger to the district as none of the eyewitnesses with whom investigators conversed directly knew the man or men seen in the company of either woman prior to her murder. For the first time in a Scottish murder hunt, a composite drawing of the man with whom MacDonald had last been seen alive was given to the press. 
being widely distributed via both newspapers and upon televents throughout Scotland in efforts to identify the suspect. Moreover, both male and female undercover police officers performed discreet surveillance at the Barland Ballroom in efforts to identify the suspect. Police surveillance at the Barland Ballroom would be terminated in late October 1969 due to the initiative failing to produce any suspects. Detectives were also blamed by the property owners for a sharp decrease in attendance figures. <coughs> so I guess with police hanging out... I was going to say, you're hurting our uh, bottom line here. You're hurting our bottom line. Flatfoot. <laughs> so, the, the third murder was of Helen Puckett. On October 31st, 1969, happy Halloween, mm-hmm. a man mm-hmm. walking his dog discovered the body of 29-year-old Helen Puckett behind a tenement in the Scottstown District of Glasgow. If anyone from Glasgow is listening, I'm probably butchering these words, and I apologize. That's all right. Her body was found beside a drain pipe in the back garden of her Earl Street flat. She'd been stripped partially naked, extensively beaten in the face before being raped, then strangled to death with one of her own stockings. The contents of her handbag had been scattered close to her body, although the handbag itself was missing from the crime scene. Grass and weed stains upon the soles of Puckett's feet and shoes indicated that she had engaged in a ferocious struggle with her killer. She had evidently at one point attempted to scale a nearby railway embankment. Her body also bore a deep bite mark on her upper right thigh, as had been the case with the two previous victims. Helen had been menstruating at the time of her murder. Her murderer had placed her sanitary towel beneath her left arm. The evening prior to the murder, Puckett and her sister Jean Langford had been to the Barland Ballroom where both had become acquainted with two men, both named John. One of these individuals had said he worked as a slater and resided in Castle Milk, while the other individual had been a well-spoken man who did not disclose where he actually lived. After being in the company of these two individuals... For more than an hour, all four left Barland to head home. The man named John, who'd been Jean's dance partner, walked to George Square to board a bus while Langford Puckett, while Langford and Puckett and the man who'd been Puckett's dance partner hailed a taxi. The trio set off from Glasgow Cross, making a 20-minute westward journey toward Langford's Knightswood home. During the trio's conversation in the cab, most of the crucial information per- pertaining to the killer's psychological profile became apparent. Upon arrival at her home, Langford exited the cab, leaving Puckett and her dance partner still inside. The cab then continued towards Puckett's home in Scottsdown. Langford later informed detectives that her sister's companion had been an individual who repeatedly quoted the Old Testament stories of Moses during the time she and her sister had conversed with him in the taxi. He had also referred to the Barlin as an adulterous den of inquity and of his disapproval of married women's married women visiting the premises as the quartet had retrieved their coats at the end of the evening. She had exited the taxi at Kelso Street before seeing the vehicle turn towards Earl Street. Okay, so now let's talk about the suspects that they okay. have for this. The suspect was described by Puckett's sister, Jean Langford, as being a tall, slim, and well-dressed young man with reddish or fair hair rounded neatly at the back. 
aged between 25 and 30 and approximately 5 foot 10 inches tall in height. This individual had given his name as either John Templeton, John Simpleson, or John Emerson. And he had been a polite and well-spoken individual, having frequently quoted from the Old Testament during the trio's taxi ride home, while also indicating he was neither Catholic nor Protestant. Langford stated that it had become increasingly clear to her as the trio had ridden the taxi that this man had considered her presence in the vehicle to be an inconvenience. At one point during the ride, he had explained to the women that the reason he refrained from consuming alcohol was due to his being conditioned by a strict parental attitude before adding, I don't drink at Hogmany, I pray. He had also alluded to his father's belief that dance halls were dens of iniquity, with any married woman who frequented these premises being adulteresses by nature. Langford had informed detectives that the man accompanying Puckett had been a slim, tall individual who had been dressed in a well-cut brown Reed and Taylor brand suit and who smoked embassy cigarettes. She also recalled his mentioning that he had been familiar with several drinking premises in the Yorker district of Glasgow and that he at one stage worked in a laboratory. She was able to describe the distinct facial features of this man, such as overlapping front teeth, However, bouncers at the Barlin Ballroom dismissed much of this description, claiming that the man had been short and well-spoken individual with black hair. The last possible sighting of the suspect was made by both the driver and conductor on a night service bus who noticed a young man matching the description given by Langford alighting a bus at the junction of Dumberton Road and Gray Street at approximately 2 a.m. on October 31st. He was in a particularly disheveled state with mud stains on his jacket and a livid red mark on his cheek just beneath one eye. Both witnesses also recalled his repeatedly tucking a short cuff of one sleeve into his jacket. A man's cuff link, fun fact, a man's cuff link had been found alongside the body of Helen Puckett. This individual was last seen walking towards the public ferry to cross the River Clyde to the south side of the city. So, some links between all the murders, which is what truly makes the detectives go, okay, maybe this so is the same guy. This is the same guy doing this. The murder of Helen Puckett had remarkable similarities to the two previous murders, further raising suspicions that all three murders had been committed by the same person. Each of the victims had been the mother of at least one child and had met her murder at the Barlin Ballroom. The handbag of each woman was missing. Each victim had been strangled to death and at least two of these women had been raped prior to their murders. In addition, each of the three women had been escorted home by her killer and murdered within yards of her doorstep, and all had been menstruating at the time of her death. Each had her sanitary towel or tampon placed upon beneath or near her body, leading to speculation that the women had been murdered for their refusal to engage in intercourse with their murderer, excused by their periods. So, obviously, there's still an ongoing investigation. Within hours of the discovery of the body of Helen Puckett, an additional composite drawing of the suspect was created using the detailed description provided by her sister. Langford saw the earlier image created after the murder of Jemima McDonald and believed it was an excellent likeness. Detective Superintendent Joe Beattie asked the public to closely study this composite drawing. Should it resemble anyone they knew 
Due to the suspect's hair being unfashionably short for the era, over 450 hairdressers in and around Glasgow were shown the updated drawing of the suspect, and all dentists in and around the city were asked to examine their records to determine whether they held records of a male patient with overlapping incisors and a missing tooth in the upper right jaw. Both lines of inquiries proved fruitless. The police also produced an artist's impression portrait created by Lennox Patterson, registrar of the Glasgow School of Art, based on the recollections of Puckett's sister. In June 1970, a police employed the photo fit system in an attempt to produce a better likeness of the suspect. This was the first instance this method of identifying a murder suspect had been utilized in Scotland. More than 100 detectives were assigned to work full-time on the case, and 50,000 witnesses' statements would be taken in subsequent door-to-door inquiries. Ultimately, more than 5,000 potential suspects would be questioned in the first year of the inquiry alone, and Jean Langford would be required to attend over 300 identity parades. Although she was adamant none of the individuals required to participate in these identity parades had been the individual with whom she had last seen her sister with and all would be cleared of any involvement. Fearing that the perpetrator would strike again, a team of 16 detectives were instructed to mingle with dancers at all dance halls in Glasgow. In particular, these, de- in particular, these detectives frequented Barlin on Thursday and Saturday nights at the over 25 events, where each victim was presumed to have met their murderer. Despite the extensive manhunt, no further developments would arise, and the investigation into the three murders gradually became cold, with many officers assigned to the case believing that the perpetrator had either died, been jailed for an unrelated offense, or had been incarcerated at a mental hospital, or that senior police officers had known his actual identity, but had been unable to prove he had committed the murders. Others speculated that he may have simply moved away from Glasgow District, or murdered whenever in the vicinity. This possibly prompted police to circulate multiple copies of the composite drawing at all British Army, Navy, and Air Force bases in the United Kingdom, Europe, Middle, and Far East. This potential line of inquiry failed to produce any significant leads. They just kind of disappeared. Yeah. And they, they did find some potential suspects, but none of them were... Yeah, none of them panned out. None of them panned out. And there was a few... Like, after all this came out, there was a few rape victims that came out and was like, I think it was Bible John. Mm-hmm. But obviously... They're alive. They're alive, so he doesn't quite fit the M.O. Right. So they've never been able to truly... Yeah, pin him down. Pin him down. And to this day, they still it's still an open investigation. They don't They don't know who it is. They have nowhere to go with it. They don't... Their biggest suspect they thought would have was Peter Tobin, mm-hmm. but he didn't really match the composite first off. Yeah, he was just seen with one of the with the sister and was a friend, and the mm-hmm. police were just trying to pin it to him, trying to get it closed to right to get it off their table to get it off their table. But that was a short and sweet one. Don't know about sweet, but <laughs> a little shorter than last week. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I struggle bust my way through the 
names and <laughs> some of them Glaswegian names. Some of those Glaswegian names and places and maybe next week I might do something that takes place in the United States. <laughs> so I might sound like I know what I'm talking about without going, Oh God. Oh boy. Oh boy, I apologize. I hope you guys liked it. As always, I would love to hear your feedback, especially my avid fan in Belgium and Brussels. I see you. I would like for you to email me. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> I know where you are. I know where you are. I can see you. But I would love to get an email from any of my fans, any of my listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And my email for you guys, in case you don't know it already, is the letter A couple of creeps at gmail.com and i hope you guys have a great week and i will see you next sunday stay creepy my friends